All right. Hey, good morning, River West. Are you happy to be here today? So good. Oh, man. I don't know about you, but I am feeling the joy today. There's two ways you can know it's Easter Sunday, all right? The first is that I tuck in my shirt, okay? <laughs> Christmas and Easter. It's, this is called the creaster, okay? The creaster tuck. No, but the second reason is the joy. I don't know how to describe it, and I probably don't have to describe it because you can feel it. It's just, it's contagious, there's like an electricity that has been flooding my heart all weekend long. I just could not wait to get here. And it comes, this morning comes on the tail of just a phenomenal weekend of worship around here. Were you here Friday night for our Good Friday service? That was unbelievable. Man, it was like next level. If you missed it, you should feel really bad about yourself on Easter morning. No, no. We set up the room in a circle. So we set up, it was the whole service was in a circle where we could see one another with a, a cross, our cross, right in the middle of the room. And we just worshiped our crucified Savior. And it was so powerful. I wept through the service. It was just amazing. And then we moved into the 32 hours of prayer. And so many of you came out for that. Every hour starting 10 p.m. Friday night until 6 a.m. They walked out of the room this morning at 6 a.m. We had River Westers in this room praying for this day, for the joy. How cool. I came in here. I came in here on Saturday morning at 3.30, okay? And there were 25 people here praying they were not asleep. It was a miracle. They were so filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought someone was going to levitate and just leave the building. It was amazing because we're a community of prayer here. Amen. And we're a community of the cross. We're a community of the cross. But even more than that, we're a community of the resurrection. That resurrection hope, that joy, there's no other explanation for it. You could spend your whole life looking for a kind of joy that you can actually find right here this morning in this moment. We're going to talk about it. You know, I want to tell you something that I've learned about resurrection joy, Christian joy. See, it's very unique. There's something about Christian joy that sets it apart from all other kinds of joy, and it's this. Christian joy is born out of sorrow. Did you know that? That's why when you feel it, it's so powerful. Because it's not a given. It's not shallow. It's a joy that rises out of the ashes of darkness and heartbreak. So that when it erupts, you know that it's something unique, something eternal, something divine. It's a joy we're going to talk about this morning as we open the Bible together. But in order to get there, we're going to get to the joy. But before I can take you to the joy, first I have to take you to a moment of great sorrow. Probably the moment of deepest sorrow in the gospel accounts. I want you to imagine with me a woman. And she's standing alone in a garden. And there's darkness all around her. But it's not the darkness just after nightfall. This is the darkness just before the dawn. 
a deep darkness. And she's weeping. Her eyes are swollen. Tears are pouring down her cheeks. Her heart has been carved out by the loss of someone she loves. She's standing next to a tomb, and her heart is broken. Her heart is broken. Who is this woman? This morning, we're going to read her story. It's in the book of John. Will you turn there with me? John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, open it to John 20. If you don't have a Bible, do not despair because we're going to do something we've never done here before. We're going to put the words on the screen just for you. No, we do that all the time. John 20. In order to understand who this woman is, we need to go back to the beginning of John to verse 1. And we're going to read into her story This story is epic. This story is amazing. I hope you'll enter in with me. It's the story of Mary Magdalene. I'll read it. You read along with me on the printed page, John 20. Here's what John says. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which, by the way, that's code for the Apostle John who wrote this gospel. He likes to refer to himself in the third person. (laughs) He's the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, by the way. That's John. It's beautiful. So she ran to Peter, and she ran to the other disciple, and here's what she said. They've taken the Lord They've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. It's the story of Mary Magdalene. Who is Mary Magdalene? Did you know all four gospel accounts intentionally tell us that the very first person to arrive on the scene on Easter morning to the tomb was this Mary, Mary Magdalene. Who was she? If you have read your Bible or you know much about the scriptures, you know there were actually several Marys who were around Jesus. It was a very common name. There was Mary, the mother of Christ, his, his biological mother, but that's not, this is not the mother of Christ. There was a Mary from Bethany. She was the sister of Martha. Mary and Martha, remember her story? This was the Mary who came and anointed Christ's feet with precious perfumes, and she wiped his feet with her hair. She was so overwhelmed with gratitude. This Mary, Mary Bethany, her brother was Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. But that's not the Mary that we have here. Or maybe you've heard the myth about a Mary who, was, who had a sordid past. She was, she was a prostitute. And maybe even most recently you've heard in, in fiction literature and common mythology, you've heard about a Mary who became the secret bride of Jesus. Have you heard about that, Mary? Right? She bore him mysterious children. You heard about that, Mary? So that there's all of these progeny. No one knows who they are. They're out in the world, the, the biological line of Christ, and they're out there, and there's a dastardly plot to kill all of them. And who shows up to save the day? Tom Hanks, of course, Tom Hanks, right, right? But all of that, you know what? All of that, it's complete dross. None of that is in the Bible. That's not who this Mary is. 
Mary Magdalene. She came from a little village called Magdala. That's, why, that's where she got her name. And the thing we know about Mary, we know a couple things about her. One, she was an extremely close traveling companion with Jesus. She was part of an inner circle of disciples. She knew Jesus for many years. She might have even been affluent. There's evidence that she helped support the mission out of her resources. And we know that Mary Magdalene had a powerful transformation in her life. The Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that, and we'll study this passage in just a few weeks, Luke tells us that Mary had seven demons delivered out of her by Jesus. Her life was turned around. Amazing. And so she was this faithful, faithful person, faithful to the end. Mary Magdalene was, was there when all the other disciples abandoned Christ. She was standing, looking at her leader be tortured at the crucifixion with some of the other women. And it was Mary Magdalene, beautiful. It was Mary Magdalene who showed up on the first day of the week, Easter morning. She was there, powerful. And what did she find? To her shock, the stone had been rolled away. She couldn't believe it. There's no way that stone could be rolled away by an, by an individual. It would require several, many, many people to roll it away. She assumes grave robbers. That's, that's her assumption. So she runs off to Peter and John in horror. Her heart is already broken, and now she's experiencing the trauma and the loss and the confusion of a stone rolled away from the tomb. What will happen? Pick up in verse 3. Look at it with me. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> Boys, right? Yeah, some things will never change. I love it. You got to love John. He's like, I just want to remind everyone that I'm faster than Peter. Okay. I mean, he may be the rock on which the church is built, but in a foot race, I'm faster. Okay. You got to love that. So here's what happened. They're running. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, he outran Peter, verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Interesting. Lots of detail about the linen cloths. Isn't that interesting? Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, just in case you forgot that, who had reached it first, he also went in and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Amazing. But all these, all these little details, isn't it interesting? All these little incidental things that, when you read them, you're like, it's sort of inconsequential to the story. John wants us to know, although I got there first, I did get there first, I did not go in first, right? Peter went in first. All these descriptions of the grave cloths. The foot race adds nothing to the story. We don't need that 
in order to understand the resurrection. Have you ever thought about that? Why is John telling us all of these minor little details? And I think I know what the answer is. Because this actually happened. This happened. John is remembering a day from his past that changed his life so much that even the smallest little details are seared into his memory. And so he records them for us. Even though he wrote it maybe 50 years later, he remembers the minutest little details. I can recite for you the tiniest little details about my wedding day. 24 years ago, this August 11, I was seven years old. It was illegal and totally inappropriate. No. 24 years ago, but I remember tiny little details about that day. I remember the big stuff. You know, there's lots of big things that happened. And I remember that I got in a, I got in a fender bender on my wedding day. All right. I remember that. Okay. I was driving with my twin brother. He was my best man. He distracted me. And suddenly we, we hit a car. Okay. And I'll never forget this. We, we rear end a car and I'm sitting there and suddenly an 85-year-old woman gets out of the driver's seat. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. So I get out of the car and I walk up and I said, I am so sorry. Are you okay? And she said, I'm fine, but my mother is in the passenger seat. <laughs> You're, did I rear end a hearse? Like, what? <laughs> who have I hit? Okay, I remember that, right? But I also remember little things. I remember how soft Kathy's hands were at the altar when I was holding her hands. I was like, wow, those are so soft. You don't need to know any more about that. (laughs) I remember looking into her eyes. I remember the look in her face. It was sort of this mixture of she was kind of scared, but she also had this confident look of love. Like, this is totally right. And I remember thinking, I feel the same way. I remember thinking as the service progressed, I remember thinking, I really want to get to the kiss part of this thing. Like, I really want to kiss her. I remember that. I remember right as our pastor, he pronounced his husband and wife, and he said, Adam, you may kiss your bride. Just as I was about to kiss her, my twin brother stepped in between the middle of us with a can of Altoids, and he opened it up, and he... (laughs) You know, it was the 90s. It was cheesy. We regret a lot of stuff from the 90s, but I remember that stuff, right? Let me tell you something about John. You know what John remembered? He remembered grave cloths that were lying there as if a body had passed through them with a headscarf that was folded up and laid to one side. Why? Because there's no way this was the result of grave robbers. They would never take the time to do something like this. And John remembered it. Why? Because John wants us to realize something. This is not mythology. This is not religious propaganda. This story reads like a historical account of a historical reality. 
And John says, I'll even tell you random details. Amen? Amen? But more importantly, John says, I want to tell you the story of a transformed life. I don't want, you to, I don't want to just repeat history. I want to tell you how it changed people's lives. And I'm going to start with Mary. I'm going to start with Mary. So we look at it again now. Verse 11, here we come. Here she is. John and Peter go home, but not Mary. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Not profound. She's standing. She's weeping. Her heart is broken. But she doesn't stay there. For some reason, in a moment, a moment of curiosity, she falls to her knees in humility. As if to say, I want to peek inside there myself. So powerful. She looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Amazing. So powerful. Can you stop for just a minute and think with me about this? Mary did not recognize Jesus. A man that she had spent three years with sat around a campfire with, shared meals with. He delivered demons out of her. He transformed her life. She knew him well. He was a friend. But somehow, in this moment, she did not recognize him. Why? What does it mean? Perhaps her eyes were so swollen with the tears she couldn't see clearly, or perhaps the garden was still shadowed and she couldn't make out his face. But I don't actually think that's what's going on here. I want to press you for just a moment this morning to consider something with me. This unrecognizing of the risen Lord Jesus happens multiple times in the gospel accounts. In the resurrection accounts, very few people recognize the risen Christ at first. Later, Jesus will appear to fit the fishermen, the disciples were fishermen, and they're on a boat, and they, they look on the shore, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. Do you remember the story of the two men walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? Jesus spends most of a day with them, but Luke tells us they're prevented from recognizing him. And Mary doesn't recognize him. 
There's a tension here, and, and the tension is this. The, the resurrection of Jesus was bodily and material. His body came back to life. He was physical. He was not a ghost. He ate fish. People grabbed him. Mary herself fell and wrapped her arms around his legs in joy. He was physical. He could be touched. He could be embraced. Thomas stuck his finger in the hole in his side and the evidence of the wounds in his hands. And yet, his resurrection was a rising to a new kind of life. A new order. He wasn't just resuscitated back to his old physical body like like Lazarus, who came out of the tomb only to die again sometime later. No, 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 no. Jesus raised into a new order, a new body that Paul describes as being glorious, powerful, indestructible, imperishable. Amen? Never to die again. So that there was something about the resurrection of Jesus that at first was almost somewhat recognizable, unrecognizable. That if you weren't careful, if you weren't really looking, you could miss it. That if we weren't paying attention, we might actually miss who this person is. Jesus, the risen Lord. Mary missed it. But then something profound happened. Something that caused the scales from her eyes to fall. A word was spoken by the risen Lord Jesus. An intimate word. A powerful word. And the moment she heard it, she immediately recognized who she was talking to. What was that word? Let's see. John 20, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. He spoke her name. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Isn't that powerful? Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. You know, Mary Magdalene was the very first person to meet the risen Lord Jesus. The very first person in human history to meet the risen Lord Jesus. But she did not recognize him until he spoke her name. There's something about the personal call of the risen Lord Jesus when he calls you by name and you just know 
this is Jesus, my Savior. You just know. You recognize him. The recognition happens when he calls your name. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. It's happened to you. Many of you. It reminds me of something Jesus said to his disciples when he was teaching them, and he, he referred to himself as the good shepherd. It happened in John 10. And he said something interesting when he was teaching them. I'll put it on the screen, John 10, 3 and 4. He said, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They know his voice. There's something about the call of Jesus. Something about that moment when he calls you by name. It's powerful. Scales fall from your spiritual eyes. And you know, and you, you cannot help but know, this Jesus is my Savior, and he died. But he didn't stay in a tomb. He rose again in power. And I have a feeling my life will never be the same. So amazing. Can I tell you something? This week, as I've prayed, and as I've tried to be ready for this moment, there's been one question, like one singular question that I have been thinking about all week long. And the question is this. Why? Why is John telling us this story? Why is he including what happens to Mary? What is the purpose of this story in the bigger agenda of his gospel? Why are we thousands of years later meant to enter in and read this story and watch what happens to Mary? And I think the answer is this. John wants us to make a connection between an empty tomb and a personal relationship with Jesus. He says, you've got to make a connection. You cannot just stay at an empty tomb. An empty tomb without a personal relationship, there's no joy. There's no power. John says, I need you to go on a journey from an empty tomb so that you can see that the purpose of a suffering Jesus who was tortured, who bled, who wept, who was humiliated, who was laid in a tomb, and who walked out in victory with a shout of triumph. I need you to see that all of that is leading to a purpose. And the purpose is this, that you would have a relationship with him, a new relationship. And John says, Mary, Mary is your model of how it happens. He lifts her up. He says, there, there are ingredients in her story that I want you to notice. Seminal moments that happened to her. But John says, this is like a model for you. Can I draw your attention to three moments for Mary that I want to share with you on Easter? It's Easter 2019. Do I need to remind you of that? 
It's Easter, and I want to I want to close with three kind of moments. Because I want to ask you, have you have you experienced these? They're like they're like steps on a in a garden. Moment one is the weeping. Moment two is the stooping. And moment three is the turning. The weeping. It's symbolic. The weeping, it's all about that void that we feel, right? That sense. Something's wrong in this world. Something's missing. Mary wept as she stood outside of a tomb that was empty and she felt something's wrong. Something's missing. And it becomes a metaphor for our lives. The weeping does not always have to be accompanied with physical tears. Sometimes for you folks who are not the crying type, <laughs> you weep, but you don't let anyone know it's happening. But you know if you're being honest, there's a void, right? The stooping represents that humble curiosity that we all have to take our own look into the tomb. It's like this curiosity that says, there's something about the claims of Christianity. There's something about the claims about Jesus that are, they're different. They're so unique. I need to take a look at this. And we have that. The stooping. And then the turning. The turning is like this reflex of the human heart when Jesus calls your name. It's like you can't even help it. Like Mary, you just turn. And interesting. So can I tell you three, something about each of these three? Okay. The weeping. Jesus says, don't ignore the weeping. Don't ignore it. Did you notice that two times in this narrative, people say to Mary, why are you, weep why are you weeping? Jesus himself, who knows, certainly he's omniscient. <laughs> He knows, why are you weeping? It's this profound, it's as if Jesus is saying, Mary, don't rush past this moment. I want you to pause. and Think about the void. Something's missing, right? We all know it. We live in this world and no matter how hard we try to cover over that void that we feel or fill it with all kinds of things, we know something's wrong. Something's missing. We live in the most wealthy, healthy society that has ever existed in human history. Did you know that? We are so wealthy. We are so healthy. Most of us will live well into our 80s, barring some kind of major health crisis. We'll live twice as long or more as the people of Christ lived. 
And we have so much, so much technological advancement. I can go to a machine and push a button and something that I like will be delivered to my front door in two days that's been made in 10 countries and it's relatively cheap, okay? And I just, and it never makes me happy. That package arrives, I'm not happy, you know? My daughter Bridget, a couple days ago, I bought her something on Amazon and we got the shipping information and they're like, this will arrive in four days. And she was like, ah, four days, ah. And I felt like that parent who's like, I had to walk to school uphill both ways. Packages took five days to arrive in my day, you know. We're so spoiled, but we're not any happier. Did you know that America is becoming more and more and more unhappy? Did you know this? They measure these things. There's a thing called the World Happiness Index. And they study it every year. 156 countries with a whole metrics of different things. In America, we're just plummeting down. We just keep falling. This year, we fell to 19. Belgium leapfrogged us. Belgium. They put mayonnaise on their French fries, all right? And they're happier than us, okay? We're not getting happier. And do you know why we're not getting happier? Because we know, if we're being honest, we know something's not right in this world. I can pretend it's not true. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't suppress that fact. You know it. Because the weeping will lead you to the stooping. I need to take another look. I need to take a look here. Now, maybe you're saying, I was with you at the weeping part, but I'm not there with the stooping. (laughs) I don't know that I'm curious about Christianity. Imagine if Mary had just stayed there, paralyzed with a void. She would never be transformed. But she didn't. She made a move. It was slight, subtle. She fell to her knees. In the Bible, it's a posture of humility that says, I'm open here. Okay, I will take a humble, open-hearted look. And she looked in. How about you? Are you stuck in your life? Are you in the void of brokenheartedness? Jesus would say, can I make a suggestion? Try the stooping. Consider claims about me. It could be something small. Come back next Sunday and and study the Gospel of Luke with us. Come for prayer. Come back to the baptism service tonight. We're going to baptize people. Come back and investigate Christianity. We'll have the 5 o'clock service, then the baptisms will start at 6. Come back and join us. Just do something small. You'll be amazed how Jesus will meet you there. 
Five years ago, I met a new couple to our church out on the back lawn. <sighs> Their names were Chris and Ellie Hotsey. Chris and Ellie Hotsey. Maybe you know them. Ellie had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. They were not Christians yet. In fact, Ellie said to many of us, I'll be honest with you, the only reason I'm here is because someday I'm going to die and I need a place for a funeral. All right, that's why I'm here. And you're like, thanks for the honesty, Elsie, Ellie. But let me tell you something about Chris and Ellie Hotsey. They were stooping. They were weeping, yes, but they had the wisdom to stoop and consider the claims about Jesus. And their lives were turned upside down because of it. Amen. Amen. Ellie experienced a miraculous healing that extended her life for years. She served faithfully. If you know Ellie, if you knew Ellie, this was a woman of incredible joy. Amen? Oh, my goodness. Her joy. Her joy. And why? Because just like Mary... Just like me, just like many of you, Chris and Ellie experienced the turning, the call of Jesus. When he calls you by name, it's almost like it's irresistible. You cannot help but turn. Can I read one quote about the turning from Dale Bruner? This will be on the screen. I love this. In the one or two seconds this turn took, I imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis. And at about this turn's one-second midpoint trajectory, history, too, moved almost imperceptibly from B.C. to A.D., a second before this turn, there is a woman in the deepest human despair, in the agonizing presence of inconquerable death. A second after the beginning of this turn, there is a woman in the deepest possible human elation, in the presence of the death-conquering central figure of history. The rush that must have come over this woman in her two-second turn, is unimaginable. I wonder, how about you? How about you? Ellie Hotsey went to be with the Lord two weeks ago. She, she laid down her life, and she went to be with Jesus. But can I tell you something? It was... The week leading up to her passing was one of the most profound weeks that I've ever experienced. Her joy, her sense of confidence. I have a video of Ellie singing the very last worship song that she ever sang. Can I show it to you? Will you just watch this video for just...
Isn't that amazing? Love that. Why am I showing you that video? First, I want you to know that we welcome all levels of singers here at River West, okay? But the, the real reason I'm showing you that video is I want to tell you something. Jesus is here, and he's calling people by name. He's the risen Lord, so he's not, he's not the God of Good Friday. He's not in a tomb anymore. He's alive. He is the risen Lord. He is our contemporary and why has he come? He's come to call people by name. How do I know it? He called Ellie by name. He called me by name. He called many of you by name. And right now in this moment, I know it. He's calling some to eternal hope and eternal joy. I want to encourage you. Let your heart make the turn today. Don't wait. It's Easter 2019. Why wait? Why wait? I'm going to pray about that as the worship team comes. Will you bow your heads with me and let's thank God for his grace. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed with joy today as we think about the power of your resurrection, Lord Jesus. That power with which you walked out of a tomb, your victory over sin and death and the grave, they no longer have a claim on us. And so we respond back to you with joy. And Lord Jesus, I believe that you're with us now, our contemporary, and in this moment, the call is going out, your voice speaking into our hearts, calling us home, and we want to respond. And so I want to pray for you this morning. If, if you have not turned and put your hope in Christ for salvation, today is your moment. Just a humble prayer that you would pray. You pray it right now with me. Jesus, I believe what I've heard. I believe what your word says about sin and, and darkness and death. I believe, Jesus, that you died on a cross to take away my sins. My sins are forgiven in the power of your blood as I call upon your name. I believe, Jesus, that you rose again on the third day and you're alive and that I have life now in your name. I believe these things, Jesus. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you are a Christian. You are a Christian. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank him today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We honor you. And we give you our lives today. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen.